Oh, sweet, sugary life giver. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast for July 20th, 2022. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, we are talking Pixel 6a. The reviews are out and uh, they're pretty good, I would say. I mean, at least from our side of the internet, we're seeing a lot of positive impression of this device. It was announced at Google I.O. It's up for pre-order as you are listening to this and it'll be out in stores on July 28th. We're also talking about the Galaxy Unpacked event that's coming in early August. It is official. We kind of know what, I mean, we definitely know what's coming, but Samsung's not making it difficult for us to figure that out. Also, OnePlus 10T is coming officially. So this is gonna be a really busy August. We've heard Techtober in August this time around. And then Qualcomm officially announced its new wearables chip, the one that we spoke about a little bit last week. It's official. It is considerably more efficient and is promising multi-day battery life on some of the bigger smartwatches made by companies that don't get enough press in the Wear OS space, Fossil and Mobvoi. We'll talk about that a little bit. And then randomly this this seems to kind of overlap this week uh some launcher news lots of weird stuff happening in the launcher world so ara is going to dig in on that speaking of ara ara wagner how are you i'm good my coke is half frozen and that is exactly what i need it to be on a day that's as warm as this one yeah it seems uh pretty warm all over the world i'm sure it's uh well the fires in in london have been in the news recently i hope everybody there is staying cool i think the temperatures are back down to like relatively manageable numbers today, but uh, last couple of days have been pretty scary. Speaking of scary, Will Saddleberg, <laughs> how are you, man? That was mean, man. I was gonna, I was like, damn, that's a good segue into introducing Ara. How he's gonna segue into introducing me? And the answer <laughs> was by calling me scary. To roast you every week. <laughs> every week you're gonna get roasted. This is my new shtick. Okay. I'm fine with that. I'll take it. And behind the boards, Jules Wang. You, you don't have to say hello, but just wave, wave into the internet world. We will get started on the 6A. So let's jump right in. The reviews are out. Ryan Hager, our reviewer extraordinaire, he has this on the site. I have one sitting next to me. I'm so jealous. It's an impressive piece of tech for $450. You know, if you go back to when the Pixel 3A was announced all the way back in 2019 at Google I.O., you know, this is the, the last kind of pre-pandemic in-person event. It, it just became notorious for being extremely good value. It's something that I think Google was pretty proud of. It was the first device that the, at the time, the newly acquired HTC team had done all on its own. And I think it, for what it was and for the price, it really made other manufacturers wake up and realize that it was possible to make a really good high quality Android phone in the $400 range. Um, we had the Pixel 4a, Pixel 4a 5G. We had the Pixel 5a. These are devices that, you know, they they were sort of quiet successes. And now we have the Pixel 6a, which is built on Tensor. It's $450. It brings much of what the Pixel 6 brought for quite a bit less, although obviously at $599 and $499 during Prime Day and some other, you know, more recently, uh, the Pixel 6 was was pretty affordable. But yeah, I think this is going to be a big win for Google, right? The company sorted out most of the issues with Tensor and Android 12. So Will, I'll start with you. 
I know you don't have it in hand, but like, what's been your opinion, your impression of the device so far? As a Pixel 6 owner, those devices seem so close to each other. I understand that like the biggest difference is really the camera, which I know a lot of diehard Pixel fans or diehard Pixel camera fans might find frustrating because kind of the balance in the A series was always you're taking a hit in performance, but you're getting that camera. And it's kind of flipped this year where it's you're getting that performance, you're getting tensor, but you're getting not, you know, it's still a good camera, but it's not the exact camera that was in last year's flagship. I'm not the biggest. I like taking photos, but I'm not the biggest photographer. So to me, if I was shopping right now, I mean, that would be a no brainer. Go with the 6A. But I do wonder diehard Pixel fans, maybe people upgrading from the 3A if they're going to be, you know, kind of pushed into the 6 or the 6 Pro or to wait for the 7 and the 7 Pro because they want, you know, the best camera they can get and the performance doesn't quite matter as much. Right. I mean, obviously we're getting a few notable upgrades, right? Some people would say that the design differences between the 5A, which really just was a, it was a bigger version of like every Pixel since the 3. I mean, it was basically the same size as the Pixel 4a 5G, I think. Right, right. But like the, from a design perspective, like plastic, it was it, it was well made, but it, it really it didn't stand out in any meaningful way. The 6 series introduced a brand new design. This follows basically that design language. And I think it is relatively divisive. I've not heard anybody who's ambivalent about the Pixel 6's design. It's either you kind of love it or you hate it. And I'm on the side of loving it. I think it's an improvement. It does scale nicely to the smaller form factor here. Uh, you know, also something that I think people will enjoy about this. It's a 6.1 inch screen and it's only slightly smaller than the Pixel 6, but it's reduced enough that it does have a significant impact on how you use it and how it feels in your pocket and how it feels in your hand. I wrote this week uh, a news article about leaks for the Zenfone 9. I've always been a big phone person going back to like my first phone was the HTC Thunderbolt, which was a big phone at the time. So I guess like going back to my first smartphone, right? And like the idea of finally going back to to what is considered compact these days, which is something like a Pixel 6a or the Zenfone 9 has been like really swaying me to like get a new phone and like get something smaller. And so to hear that even at a relatively slight size reduction compared to the six it, it is noticeable like makes me want to get this phone even though i do not need it i mean i want this phone because i i need smaller phones like the two phones i've had this year i've been the yeah. pixel 6 and the galaxy s22 ultra and the galaxy s22 ultra is a tank i've hated whenever i've had to use yeah. uh, whenever i've been using this phone usually because i need to test out something that's samsung specific but whenever i can go back to my pixel 6 i will and I want the Pixel 6a just because I want a phone that I can actually properly use one-handed without straining my thumb or any of my other fingers trying to reach all the way across the screen. Jules is saying something that I was actually going to bring up, so good timing. He's saying like he roped his dad into getting a 6a and how the 6 or the, 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 the A series now, three years in, seems to be like the default recommendation to anybody who doesn't want an iPhone but just wants a cheap phone. Like Whoa. the default obviously is that if you don't want an Android, if you don't want an iPhone, it's an Android phone. And the best cheap Android phone for most people is an A series pixel. 
It is. Although, Jules, I'm wondering whether or not it has more to do with the Pixel 6a's pricing and more of you wouldn't have been able to convince your dad to wait for a 7, right? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> so, Because, I mean, it also, matter, it also matters if you're doing carrier recommendations or not. Because I got my parents to both go to a Pixel 6 on Black Friday because with the trade-in deals they had, they got a Pixel 6 Pro for basically 200 bucks. Oh, it man. doesn't like, get any better than that. The trade-ins on this are going to be insane. Like Verizon is already saying you're going to get a free Pixel 6a if you sign up for a new line, right? Like there are deals because the carriers love that 350 to 450 price range because they can subsidize it somewhat and get away with essentially charging nothing for it through whatever deals they might be offering. Even if it's just like trade in a broken phone and we'll give you $450 for it, it's a lot easier to stomach than the same kind of trade-in deal with the $1,000 phone where you still have to pony up five, 600 bucks ultimately. The, the other part of this is that the 6A is going to be available in more countries than the 5A. So for many people around the world, they went from the 3A and 3A XL to the 4A, 4A 5G to the 6A, right? And that's it. Like a lot of these countries didn't have a lot of pixel options, at least in the cheaper range. So the experience just got so screwed up by the Pixel 5a only being available in the United States and Japan because of chip shortages. And I really wish that they could have like either picked a different chip for the 5a or if they could have waited in order to get more availability because, yeah, the Pixel 6a, we know it is coming to India. We don't know when, but that'll be the first Pixel phone that India has gotten since 2020. Yeah, it's wild, right? That's a huge market, and it's a very competitive market. And the 6A is probably going to play pretty well there. I mean, it's well-priced for what it is. It's also important to understand that the Tensor is not the most powerful chip, but it's more powerful than most mid-range Qualcomm chips, and it's also better suited to scaling, right? So you can get the same performance in a mid-range device and a high-end phone and not really worry that like you're losing out on anything. It's not like they're downclocking this or it's like a lesser version of the Tensor. This is what Apple does. This is how the company gets away with putting an A13 or whatever their latest chip is inside the iPhone SE because for them, it's economies of scale. Google's already producing so many of these. It already has the deals in place on the manufacturing side. And they don't have to go through a Qualcomm. They don't have to pay for not just the chips, but also the support, right? They're doing this in-house now. So that lowers the cost of entry. It, it allows them to scale the Tensor chip to a cheaper device. And you're not really losing much. I mean, we've seen on the Pixel 6s, they perform as well as any high-end Qualcomm SOC does, unless you're benchmarking them, which, you know, why, why are you doing that? Benchmarks are so, bullshit. <laughs> So on the let, let's talk a little bit about camera on battery. So camera, this is the same camera setup as the Pixel 5a, which was basically the same as the 4a, et cetera. It's the first time that we're seeing these Sony sensors used with Tensor, though. And what Ryan says in his review is that it does perform relatively similarly, right, to previous Pixels. Google's had a lot of time to optimize the stack here. It pops. It's very high contrast. The processing speed is pretty fast, faster than it would have been in a Qualcomm-powered chip. There's just a lot of advantage having Tensor here 
alongside this like known quantity of the IMX363. There is that ultra wide, which has been the Google staple for many years as well since the Pixel 5 series. But overall, you're not getting anything dramatically better than the Pixel 5a, but it's also not a regression and you are getting some of those processing speed improvements. Yeah. And there is a new magic eraser feature as well, Will, well, that I, cool. I think is worth noting. Yeah. So I don't know if we know for sure this is coming to to like the Pixel 6, although I would assume it will. I would be very surprised if they start forking the off. The camo feature? Yeah, it's, that it's a came to Pixel 6s it, this week ahead of the Pixel 6a launch. So yes. Well, the, not officially. No, it's they not. It's oh. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, so, so this is, uh, I, I believe, a friend of the show, Michal got it working on his phone but yeah i mean it's it's super rad you can use it to essentially like tweak the color of items in an image so instead of having to erase something that is distracting in your image you can just blend it in so like a bright blue bench can become black and suddenly like it's still in the frame you're not digitally erasing it but it's not taking your eyes away from whatever the actual focus of the image is which i think is almost cooler than i mean it it's as impressive to me but like, it feels like something I would use more often than Magic Eraser, where you're really just like really modifying an image. This keeps things a little more true to reality while also enhancing whatever you've captured. I don't know. Being able to erase uh, crowds out of my shots at Disney World is pretty awesome. All right. That's weird, though. The crowd is part of the part. Like, <laughs> like no. making it abandoned is odd. <laughs> That's oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't make it abandoned. The further away people are, the harder it is for it to get an actual, like, clean cropping out without making the background look weird. Sure. No, no, no. I mean the people, like, immediately behind me who just, like, walked right behind the shot while I was trying to take a selfie. Fair enough. I feel like Ara just pictures Disneyland like Will Smith and I Am Legend, where it's the world, but it's abandoned. And that I mean, she's just like the only person there. I got to see for... it that way because I went to the parks immediately after they reopened when there was oh, like yeah, super true. hard capacity limits. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're only allowing like 15% capacity into the park, which means it was a walk on for literally everything. But no, I, I expect Disney World to have people. I just want the people to be attentive of what is around them and not, you know, like fumble through people's shots. You were asking way too yeah. much for families on vacation. <laughs> yeah, as one of those families, I, I say, don't be that person. <laughs> Give us the patience that we need in ourselves. As parents having to deal with crying children, it's not, we're not thinking about your photos. I'll I'm, be... I'm perfectly fine with that. If you bring a kid under the age of nine to a theme park, you brought it upon yourself and you deserve to deal with that but uh it's a it's but yeah a, it's that's what that's who it's for where right, we can't no! okay I, i'm gonna i'm gonna, gonna be the parent here gonna, and ro yeah, rope no. us rope us back I'm putting, I'm putting us on those really terrible leashes that some parents put on absolutely on their kids so let's let's finish this up so battery life yeah I'm uh, so like sorry let, let's finish the camera stuff so Magic Eraser, yeah. those kinds of features are tensor specific which means regardless of whether the performance of a regular photo is not substantially better than it is on previous Pixels or Pixel A series phones. This is going to be one of the things that Google continues to differentiate with, right? Magic Eraser, Face Unblur, uh, just stuff like that. That is dependent on Tensor. It is fantastic and they work really well. Well, that's what I was like earlier trying to say, which is that like, unless you really need specifically top end hardware, I do think a lot of people are going to be swayed to the 6A rather than the 6 because it's so close and you have all those software features. And to me, 
again, as someone who is not like a, a super serious mobile photographer, the software features matter more to me. Stuff like Magic Eraser matters more to me than, oh, this has like a slightly better sensor. Finally, battery life. So Ryan and I have had very similar experiences. The battery is 4,400 milliamp hour, which is smaller than the 5A. It's a 60 hertz display. So the display itself is decent. It's not quite as good. It's not doesn't get quite as bright as the, as the 5As did, but it's a very capable OLED display. It's at 60 hertz. And as somebody who's just gotten used to every phone running at 90 to 120, that was the hardest thing to take, right? The lack of wireless charging it's 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 annoying, but it's not the end of the world. But really, like going back to 60 hertz is tough, especially on a screen that is like notably worse than the six pros. But everything else about this phone, I think, is like really, really easy to recommend. So at 450, like you can't go wrong. This is what Ryan said about the main competitor here, which is the Pixel or the Galaxy A53, uh, which has a similar $450 MSRP. The 6A delivers a better camera, better performance, and arguably better software, right? Like that's just straight up. So you're getting three years of platform updates and five years of security patches. Ironically, Samsung offers four years of platform updates and five years of security patches, but those updates are going to come later. And I think they're not going to be as, well, I mean, it depends, right? If you like Samsung software, it's not a big deal, but if you appreciate what Google's doing, then this is an advantage. So I think that's where we're going to leave the 6A. It's a good, solid product that if you're looking for a mid-range phone and it's in your market, I would highly recommend you think about it. All right, let's just talk quickly about these new smartwatches coming from Fossil and Mobvoi. We talked a bit about this wearables chip last week, but I'm just going to go over quickly what Qualcomm is saying. It's called the W5 Gen 1 and W5 Plus Gen 1, the biggest generational improvement since the original Snapdragon Wear SoC debuted many, many years ago. Much improved coprocessor. It's built on a four nanometer node, which is an enormous improvement in efficiency over the 12 nanometers that the previous one was built on. More RAM, faster RAM, faster GPU, faster modem, much, much better machine learning abilities, more modern Bluetooth, supports just far more things, far more modern. And more than anything, it's promising multi-day battery life, so, you know, we're going to get wearables from Fossil and Mobvoi that are running on these new chips that should get like twice the length of battery that they did on the Snapdragon Wear 4100. Wear OS has never been particularly noted for its battery life. This will change that, especially on bigger watches like the 44 and 46 millimeter versions. You have a 400, 500 milliamp hour battery in these watches. These are going to last two days. That's what Qualcomm is promising here. So... We're not going to know much about it until we get devices in hand on wrist and we start using them, but that is really the thing to look forward to here. We have Wear OS 3. We have devices promised by Mobvoi and Fossil for later this year, and we have much faster performance with increased efficiency. So we'll talk more about that later, but I just wanted to mention it. All right, let's move on. Will, let's talk Galaxy and OnePlus. Sure. If you have not been swayed by our Pixel 6a coverage, can I interest you in a foldable? Because <laughs> Samsung has two of them coming. Um, oh, yes. We don't like the $450 phone. Let's go for the $1,000 foldable and the $1,800 foldable. We don't yeah, know prices listen, yet. I'm just basing it off of last year. Maybe you want to spend a lot of money. I don't I mean, know. I mean, I really do want the Flip 4. I might actually sure. spend my own money on the Flip 4. 
So this date had leaked several times, I believe, leading up to the official invite coming out. But Galaxy Unpacked is official for August 10th. Samsung is already offering big reservation bonuses if you are willing to put your name down on paper. I don't believe you have to put anything down. It's literally just signing up, saying that you are interested in the device. But yeah, you can get $200 just by saying, oh yeah, I will get the Galaxy phone watch in Bud's bundle. I think this is so, it's such an interesting way where it's like, oh, you're getting a $200 credit towards a new Galaxy phone, a new Galaxy watch, and new Galaxy Buds. I wonder what they're going to announce at this event. I would guess it's probably some phones, watches, and and earbuds, but uh, of course we can always, you know, hope for some kind of surprise. But yeah, um, we're going to see the Z Fold 4. We're going to see the Z Flip 4. Those have both leaked extensively. Um, They are relatively minor upgrades. It's so weird that these are fourth gen models and we're already at the point where it's like pretty minor like upgrades year over year. All they really needed to fix here was cameras because we've had holdover cameras for generations and generations of sure. things. Well, I mean, the, the they're, they're supposedly the seam is supposed to be less noticeable. I think that's cool. I just think, you know, you think about the original Fold and how that launch went and, and Samsung really has come like a long way in a pretty short amount of time in terms of these foldables. I just want to like point out that yeah. whenever I open my Fold 3, it's the only phone I own that still makes me go, holy cow, this is an incredible yeah. engineering achievement. Like every single time. And then I use it and I'm like, the software is nowhere close <laughs> to ready and I'm waiting for Android 13. But like the hardware is remarkable and we've seen the competition kind of step up, right? Huawei, Vivo, there are better versions of what Samsung is doing in terms of engineering with the teardrop hinge and stuff like that but ultimately samsung's holistic whole, like the holistic whole the the finished product software and hardware together is better than anything else out there by far yeah i'm excited i i don't know if this is the year that i finally buy a foldable but each year i'm more pushed that way i mentioned my small phone thing earlier and and the flip kind of is the other one where i'm like yeah. Mm, would that would that be fun to use? Would that be nice? I mean, the flip for me is just the dream of being able to ditch my holster when I go out in public for once. Because, sure. I mean, I'm a girl. They don't make pockets big enough on my right. pants in order to hold my phone, my wallet, and my keys and earbuds and hand sanitizer. So I carry a shoulder holster. My phone goes on one side, my wallet and keys go in the other. And then my pockets have my earbuds and my hand sanitizer. The you flip said- four is... Wait, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say you said holster and I was really hoping it was one of those like early 2000s like belt holsters that you were keeping no, your phone in and I was going to be so excited. No, I'm not excited. a dweeb. I carry a shoulder holster and so every other time I leave the house I get told by somebody, it looked like you were carrying a gun. No, it's a phone. <laughs> it's better than a gun. <laughs> but no, I mean, and I don't get me wrong. I love my shoulder holster. I have more and more women ask me where I got it every year just because phones keep getting bigger. And most of us do not like having to either hold our phone the whole time, keep it in a back pocket and remember to take it out whenever we sit down. And then having to deal with where we stick it whenever we like go to the bathroom and don't want to leave it at the bar or things like that. My holster is useful. But at the same time, I wish I wasn't beholden to it. And the flip floor is small enough that it'll actually fit in my pockets and I could put my phone, a very small wallet, and my earbuds in one pocket and just carry that, which would be nice. 
clearly the solution is that we get you a cellular Galaxy Watch 5, which will probably be announced at the uh, Unpacked event. There, And I will do- probably spontaneously <laughs> combust in the Florida sun like the last one. <laughs> okay, like, let's actually just talk about how Samsung is not trying to obscure yeah. anything here. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a reserve page right now right. that if you can go to, you get a $200 credit if you pre-order. <laughs> reserve one, two, or all three it's to so save funny. even more on Galaxy Smartphone, Galaxy Watch, and Galaxy Buds. They are literally yeah. telling you what they're going to announce on August 10, which well, is I mean, like, it's, we know this, but it's funny. The naming schemes are set. Nothing here is really changing except for what they're calling the fancier version of the Watch 5. Which do they say the fancier version of the Watch 5 on that pre-order page? No, they don't. No, and they don't tell you which earbuds. Yeah. Um, but we, gonna be we can infer what they are. Yeah. yeah. It's just like companies don't even try to hide what they're announcing anymore. Like that's just, we're so far beyond that. And they should, it's it's dumb. Like the hype cycle is going to exist no matter what for these things. And we've seen phones like nothing make a hype cycle out of just like putting out teases. It's like, especially when they're fourth or fifth generation products like these, where it's like, they're pretty minor upgrades over last year. Like I cannot imagine other than diehard Samsung fans, you know, not a lot of Z Fold 3 owners are going to upgrade to the Z Fold 4. It's just not financially a good idea. Well, for the Fold 4, I imagine not. I don't know what the trading values are going to be for the Flip 3, though, considering they were basically giving those away for much sure. of the last year if you traded in a phone. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see because obviously we don't have we don't have pricing yet. We just know the event no. is happening. I'm really excited to see how the Buds 2 Pro hold up against... Um, the Pixel Buds Pro. Yeah, the Pixel Buds Pro. Which yeah, also I want to see that shortly. too. Yeah. A lot of good Buds being released right now. I, I got a pair of, randomly, because um, I'm in Canada and they still allow the sale of them, I got a pair of the Huawei Free Buds 2 Pro. Oh, okay. And they yeah. are <laughs> remarkably good. Like, far better than I thought they would be. And they've now become my default pocket earbuds at least until the Buds Pro are released. But they are, the ANC is solid. The transparency mode is good. The controls are excellent because they just copy the AirPods Pro and the little stem squeezing. The app is usable. It just works. Like it's it's a very, very solid pair of earbuds. And it's the first Huawei product that I've used in forever. So, so you can just buy these in Canada? Yeah, okay. you're allowed so to. So I, I mean, should just no, cross the border is what you're saying. <laughs> if you on. want these earbuds, sure. Okay. I mean, there's no embargo, right? Yeah. They're, like there is in the US. So they don't sell phones here anymore yeah. because they don't have the place Google, but yeah. um, everything else they can sell. They still sell their laptops here too. I'm shopping for new headphones. So this is an interesting wrinkle in that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you at the, at, at the local... <laughs> I was going to say, uh, what do we have that Future Shop? Do you remember Future Shop? Barely. Jules knows what I'm talking about. Barely. Ah, you're a terrible Canadian. You're I'm not, not a I, Canadian. I remove, I remove your honorary Canadian <laughs> status. That, you're, you're failing me. All right. Tell me if you remember what Future Shop is, my <laughs> Canadian listeners, podcast at andrewpolice.com. All right. What about OnePlus? Because right. I don't know. I'm not super enthused about another OnePlus phone this year, but I don't think anyone is. Let's really. just put our cards on the table. Like, why would somebody want a T, a, a, a T series OnePlus anymore? It's going to have a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. I think that it's not the only phone that's going to have that, but that will certainly be something for, for some people. The T's that they put out, I think the design looks interesting, specifically the, the textured sand back it looks nice to hold i guess 
and, and we should say the news that this is coming from is that OnePlus is officially announcing the 10T on August 3rd. It, following the theme of Samsung and Google, this isn't a secret. It, the invite says OnePlus 10T 5G product launch. So like, you know. And we have an official photo. Yeah, so. it's happening. But I don't know, man. Like, I could not tell you and I know most of them don't come to North America, but I could not tell you how many OnePlus phones have been announced this year. It it feels like we've had an event a month uh, for, for worldwide launches. And it's just like yeah. hard to be excited about like a souped up version of the OnePlus 10 Pro. That, that didn't like, sell that well here. Didn't do anything. Yeah. Like no one seemed to really like it that much. It, it wasn't an outright disaster, but I it's hard to be excited about this, you know? I mean, I'm also kind of pissed that they're bringing back the T-Series again because the T-Series made OnePlus phones kind of untenable for accessory makers because when you make a case for a phone, you're expecting that phone to be sold for like a year or more so that way you can actually, you know, sell the cases you make and not have leftover stock. Because OnePlus would do launches every six months, that meant the shelf life for any of the cases made for these phones was half as long. So that was part of why it was just absolutely terrible to try and find cases for OnePlus phones for so long. I'm annoyed that they're starting this up again, especially because the OnePlus 10 series just did not do well in, in the North America. I wish that they had, instead of launching this phone, I wish that they had taken all of that money and R&D and marketing and everything and poured that money back into development and making OnePlus's software experience and update experience what it needs to be after falling off so much after the last three years. Like, there were so many better ways to use this money. Jules makes a good point, though, which is that Sandstone. Uh, that, but that's but the the Sandstone, Sandstone, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it all gets overshadowed when you feel the back of this phone. I mean, what's <laughs> what's so interesting is contrasting the current slate of OnePlus phones with the Nothing Phone 1, right? Yeah. We had Manuel on the show last week. He talked about his impressions. What we didn't have at the time, because we recorded it right before the embargo lifted, was everybody else's impressions. And what I found was that most people were pretty, pretty happy with this phone, right? Like at 400 pounds, 400 euro, if you, ha if you can use it, it's a solid option. And really, like, even though the glyphs are a little gimmicky, nothing gets a lot of things right for the first phone that they're making. And what we found since is that there are a bunch of in-development options for those glyphs, right? So there's like a visualizer that will be coming as an update i believe there are going to be per app notification settings that you can align it with so things that didn't make the launch are obviously going to come and make those leds a little bit more useful but i thought that mkbhd in his video made a really good point about it i so rarely put my phone flat right like i don't put it down on its face i try not to because and I don't see what's happening. I also don't want to scratch the screen. It's just a weird rethinking of how you use your phone. And then if you don't have per app notification settings, what use is the glyphs like 90% of the time? Jules points out rightfully that it sparks joy in a lot of in a lot of people. I, I wonder how quickly that joy will abate, similarly to the hype around all OnePlus phones. It sparks joy the same way like a fidget toy or a pop socket on the back of a phone does. It's not <laughs> supposed to be that functional. It just is there. Except the a fidget toy doesn't cost 400 pounds. Yeah. So. A pop socket is $10 and will probably distract you more over the course of its lifetime. 
I yeah. say as I fidget with the one on my back on the back of my phone right now as I try to pay attention with a lack of food in my stomach. All right. Well, to spare you, I think we've we've said everything we can yeah, about uh, these two devices and the launches. We will talk lots more as they get announced and become a bit more available. But Ara, we will make this as short as sweet as possible. What is happening in the world of launchers this week? Oh, just God. there's a, there's just chaos, chaos in the launcher world. Yep. What is I happening mean, here? to be fair, in the theming community, chaos is just kind of the norm. But for launchers that are as well known and respect, well, at least in Nova's case, is respected as launcher and Nova launcher, it's rare to see this much major news in the span of three days. Yeah, like yeah, I guess not even yeah, not even a week because the Nova launcher purchase and the launcher stuff happened. That both happened on Monday. Yeah. So yep. okay, we're gonna. We're going to get through the launcher stuff first because I'm just I'm just tired of looking at this because it's exhausting. But uh, for LaunchAir, one of the developers that have been contributing to LaunchAir noticed that another contributor had reverse engineered code that they did not own and put it into the LaunchAir development code, which meant that they were using code that they did not own or have licensing for, which upset that developer rightly and cause them to say i'm not gonna contribute to a project that is using stolen code the rest of the development team has said yeah we hadn't realized this we are removing that code we're sorry for this launcher also it sucks to say this i've never been the biggest fan of launcher i don't get what the hype has been considering how long of a journey it has been to get to this point with launcher especially when we already have so many great launchers that do basically the same thing and have done it continuing to push out updates in a regular amount of time although i say this and nova launcher hadn't had a beta update in eight months before friday when they announced nova launcher beta 8.0 although to be fair launcher has a very active development community it just doesn't put those updates on the play store it keeps them no, it, in it telegram because... channels for some reason. Well, the reason for that is the same reason that Nova Launcher is doing the Nova Launcher 8.0 beta in Discord. It takes so freaking long to get app updates, even beta channel app updates approved by Google and pushed out to the Play Store that for so many developers, it's just not worth it to do betas through Google Play anymore. You have to go to Discord or Telegram or some outside channel where you have the ability to push out updates immediately because when you're dealing with beta software, if something breaks the app for a large number of users and then you're stuck waiting for weeks on Google to approve the update, you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, Nova, and we'll get to them in a second, but they pushed out 8.0 on Friday and they pushed out 8.0.1 on Sunday. So like, yeah, like it was already, you know, and I'm actually surprised that there isn't an 8.0.2, although I guess they are dealing with bigger stuff behind the scenes right now. I thought they did the point two on either Monday afternoon. It's not on or their Sunday. website. Their their change oh. log has has just ends with eight point zero point one. It could be. I'm not in the Discord, so it's possible. Uh, it's just not uh -huh. on their website. But yeah, again, Nova Launcher has also had other things to deal with. Yeah, because Nova Launcher got purchased on Monday, or at least they announced the purchase on Monday. So. Nova Launcher has been its own team. It has been an indie app development team for. God, almost a decade now? Like, Nova's been on Android longer than I have, and I came to Android on, like, the beginning of 2012. 
Nova was literally the first app I ever purchased. It was like an Android 4 launcher, if I remember correctly. It it kind of took the place of, oh, oh God, the, I can't remember the Android 2, the big Android 2 launcher um, that was around in those days. Launcher Pro, maybe? Probably. But it kind of took the place of that for a lot of people, including me. Like, I, I was a diehard Nova user back in the day. I mean, I was a diehard Nova user for a number of years, and the only reason I am not currently a diehard Nova user is because Smart Launcher came in and just absolutely fucking stole my heart with those uh, categorical app drawers, because I love having all of my apps separated by type, so that way I'm not, you know, scrolling through one big list and being like, oh, hey, I haven't opened that game in a while, click. What did I come in here for again? I'm somebody who's very prone to distractions, so Smart Launcher letting me sequester all the apps that I will lose hours of time in is useful, and Smart Launcher's integration with other theming apps just makes it an absolute breeze for me, because I took a video for one of my coworkers yesterday morning, or on Monday morning after the Nova uh, news broke about theming a phone and how he wished he had time for it, and I just would go and change a wallpaper and then go back to the home screen and everything rethemed automatically and change the wallpaper and go back to the home screen and everything just rethemed automatically, and it was beautiful. But Nova Launcher has been around for a while. It's gotten harder and harder for third-party launchers to continue to make a living doing this, especially as later and later Android versions have just become hostile towards third-party launchers. Especially, it was Android 10 when they did the new gesture launchers and they didn't launch with finalized controls for... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not that long ago. Not that still long ago. But... seems like forever because our friends like Action Launcher developer Chris Lacey, the moment those changes were made, he started complaining about them. And so have... The team behind Nova Launcher, so of the team behind LaunchAir, right? The upside here is that Android as a platform is just, as you said, more hostile to third-party launchers now. And that is really unfortunate because they're in a pretty good place from a usability perspective. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know everybody loves Pixel Launcher. I can't stand Pixel Launcher. Your maximum is like a five by six grid or something that ridiculously small, and you you can't get rid of the bar at the top. You can't get rid of the search bar at the bottom. It just kills me. And One UI Home isn't any better. I'm sorry, Samsung users. It's not. Sorry, we're going to get off track. But um, for Nova Launcher, 8.0 is bringing in material theming and automa uh, automatic material U adaptive theming, which once that is working properly will be a godsend. But for now, it doesn't really theme enough. And... Again, it's a very early beta. Things break. The app was pretty unstable with the first version that I tried installing last Friday, but the updates have evened things out a little bit. Let's just talk about the acquirer. Yeah. So what do we know yeah. about Branch? What do we know about what it does? The company's saying that there will be no changes to Nova Launcher's privacy policy, but these things don't always... They happen more sl more, more more slowly, well, but they I still happen really eventually. I don't really think Branch cared as much about Nova Launcher as they did Sesame. Okay, so what, just walk us through what this company is first and, and why you think they bought Nova Launcher and, and Sesame. Okay, Branch is a analytics firm. I'm not terribly into what Branch does with, with the vast majority of its data, but they try to analyze links and app data and whatnot in order to try and give insight to companies that ask for their services. So it's been... They basically do deep linking. Yeah. So they, yeah. what they do is they, you, you get an email, you get an email with a link that says, open this in Reddit, right? This will 
op- or open the story in Medium, whatever the app may be, right? You get the call to action, you open it in the app itself, Branch is that facilitator. It's the one that is linking an email or a text message or some call to action on the internet to somewhere in the client's app. And they bundle that all together, they provide usage data, and then they basically give that information to the client. So Reddit has a much better idea of if they send out a newsletter or if they send out an email blast or a text message or put it on Twitter or something, and they are using Branch, Branch will put them directly inside the app in some place and see where people go after that, give them all that data to figure out how people are using their apps and like the journey. So if they go from Reddit to Facebook to a news site or something, Branch also offers that through depersonalized metadata, right? So they're still trying to abide by the same privacy policies that Google and Apple are forcing, but they're doing it because they have so much data, they have so many clients, it's useful to those clients to understand, okay, well, after people close Reddit, they open Instagram 98% of the time or whatever the whatever the case may be. So it kind of makes sense why they would want a, an Android launcher because all of that data is super useful, but at the same time, they're promising not to track that data and make no changes to the privacy policy. Well, again, I also don't, that's part of why I said that Sesame Search might have been what Branch wanted more. Because Sesame Search is a tool that plugs into Nova Launcher, but it also can, like, turns things up to 11 if you're into, custom, like, deep customization of your launcher and your Android experience. And Sesame Search also aligns more with what Branch does anyway with the, okay, you want to integrate things a little bit more easily, a little bit more fluidly. Sesame Search can help do that. So they get access to all that search input. So they bought Nova Launcher because it was the endpoint for one of these. I mean, it's the most popular third-party launcher, and Sesame Search is a very popular plugin for that and it gives it's basically like alfred for android well i mean it's also a matter here of also owning the most popular android launcher means that if they can help provide overhead for app development and app feature development that means that the team will finally be able like uh nova's team mentioned that hey we might finally be able to do a b app testing for features because we just straight up haven't had the resources to do this before now So this will give them a little bit more flexibility. Hopefully this will make Nova Launcher updates and development a little bit faster now that they have new backers and hopefully either can hire more people for the team or the team that is there can spend more time focusing on features and development as opposed to as much of dealing with the community and whatnot as they did before. I am hopeful, even though I don't have a whole lot to be hopeful for at the moment, but considering that the alternative was Nova Launch, uh, the alternative to getting purchased is either Nova Launcher slowly fading away or at some point just becoming defunct, I'm happy it got purchased and has owners that care about its performance. Because I'd much rather that than the development team getting bought and then getting pulled to something else. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a ton of sense. Because we've seen that happen with other launchers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that is where we're going to leave it for today. Lots of really interesting news this week. We will obviously be tracking what's happening with the 6A, what other people are saying about it as people get their early devices. Uh, We'll also talk about that a bit next week. As we get closer to Samsung, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about uh, what, what they're working on. And 
I don't know. One plus, man. One plus is going to. I'm just going to look forward gonna... to hearing people gush about the Pixel Buds Pro next week. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I can't wait for that. We'll we'll try to have Taylor on the show and he'll he'll let us know yeah, what he you, thinks. You two can talk about the buds and I can just lust over them because I can't get myself to spend $200 on earbuds. Yeah. But these yeah. are sorely, sorely tempting me if they can actually fit properly because the change in design makes me think that they might not fit as well now that they no longer have the little wing tips. Mm. All right. Well, we will, we will answer those questions and more. Uh, if you want to find Will... You can find him on Twitter at Will underscore Saddleberg. Ara is at Ara Wagco. Jules is at Point Jules. I am at Journey Dan. You can find all of us and our work at AndroidPolice.com. Please send us an email. If you have any suggestions for guests, for segments, for any feedback at all, I would love to hear from you. Podcast at AndroidPolice.com. Tell me which launcher y'all are using. Please tell me I'm not the only custom launcher user out here anymore. Dozens of us. There <laughs> That's are the show dozens of for us. this week. We will be back next week. Have a great, great week off. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Week off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you might need to redo that last little bit. No, no, not- it stays. It stays. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>